in a world gone mad. Only rationality and common sense can save it. It's Andrew and Jerry Save the World with your hosts, Andrew Langer and Jerry Rogers. And now, here's Andrew and Jerry. Well, yes, welcome to another episode of Andrew and Jerry Save the World. This is episode 13, and I haven't even told Jerry this, but I'm titling this uh, episode 13, Andrew and Jerry Get Caught Up. I'm Andrew Langer. I'm still Jerry Rogers. And there's so much going on in the world, Gerald, um, <laughs> which which we, we have a lot, I mean, a lot to talk about. And in fact, let's let's get right into it because we want to have plenty of time to get. The, oh, well, no, no. Actually, before we do this, a couple of housekeeping items. Uh, number one, uh, we have we have surpassed our first major milestone in terms of downloads. Jerry, I haven't even talked to you about this. No, you haven't. So, Please. I talk to you every day. You think you give yes. me some news? We're like a married a married couple that talks, but we don't communicate. We don't say anything. Uh, so please uh, uh, keep those downloads coming, those listens coming. If you get a chance, please start reviewing the podcast on your favorite podcast platform and share it with friends. Uh, we got a lot coming up in the next few weeks, especially. Uh, by the way, I will tease later on the event that I'm doing. I'll say it now, actually, and I'll say it next week. Uh, Next week on the 29th of March, uh, I will be appearing uh, at Notre Dame of Maryland in Baltimore. I'm doing a panel on the Russia-Ukraine conflict. I'm doing the panel. I'm part of the panel uh, on the Russia-Ukraine conflict. Uh, And that's at 12.15 p.m. at uh, Notre Dame of Maryland uh, in the Noise House, N-O-Y-E-S. It is free. It is open to the public. I hope you can join. Uh, Then in April... Uh, I'm going to be uh, uh, moderating a gubernatorial debate. That's up in Frederick, Maryland. I'll, I'll give more of that information uh, as the dates progress. We're going to be joined today by Bill Pasco. Bill Pasco is uh, an old friend of ours. He is uh, the uh, longtime activist. He is the Tea Party Patriots Organization's man in Washington. Uh, we're going to talk to him about a bunch of stuff, and, and not just uh, current events because there's a lot going on, uh, but we're also Jerry going to talk to Bill about about music because Excellent. you know that Bill's Bill's a, about a, as big a, a, as a music buff. So let's uh, let's get right into it with our ripped from the headlines segment. Ripped from the headlines. So Jerry, uh, as you were prepping for your radio stint uh, earlier this week, you were in for Dan Joseph. Uh, you had you had a tough time trying to sort of get your head wrapped around all that what you were going to talk about, didn't you? Well, because at the end of the day, what 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 is what is the truth now? Uh, and it's very simple. And I think it colors every topic, uh, regardless of domestic or geopolitical or social or fiscal. We are living in a post-truth public dialogue. You know where where one side, and I'm going to say this because. You and I want to be persuadable uh, because we want to persuade. And sometimes, you know, we are deferential to our intellectual or political opponents, and we should be. Uh, we need to have conversations. But the problem is, and I said this on, on a Tuesday night on WBAL, and that is, yes, the fringe right makes things up, false narratives, and the fringe left does the same. The problem or the new challenge is, is that the fringe left really is today the mainstream of the 
Democratic Party, but also this is a a, a power elite that controls public schools and yes. universities and the media and all the rest of it. And so therefore, uh, now more than ever, we, we have to just simply tell the truth. And again, what we're seeing is people who tell the truth today um, risk uh, losing their jobs, their livelihoods, their position. Uh, they lose, uh, you know, they lose uh, the invitations to the cocktail party and all the rest of it. And that's why I had a hard time kind of wrapping my head around how to have these conversations when one side simply is untethered from reality. It, it gets, and there's so much, and, and I, and I, and I appreciate what you're doing. Cause when Jerry and I were talking about this, Jerry and I were talking about the fact that he's really starting off his shows. And I think this is the right way to approach it. Uh, and frankly, we, this is what, frankly, this is what we do on, uh, on, uh, on Andrew and Jerry save the world, which is we, we start with a theme. I mean, maybe that's it. Maybe Jerry, maybe instead of Andrew and Jerry get caught up, maybe it should be Andrew and Jerry save the truth. Yeah. And, and right. we have we have a big job ahead of us. Well, but but but, I, you know, anyway, it's <laughs> listen, if you if you clicked on the podcast, you'll know what we have decided in terms of the title. But, you know, it's this <laughs> idea of the theme uh, is you'll is have so, you'll have to read the bill to know what's in the yes, bill. That's exactly you'll right. have to see but, the but, podcast, you know, listen Jerry, to it, it me, listen, to know what it's called. It reminds me of something and, and setting aside. Um, uh, you know, the, the issue of Russia today and setting aside the narrative of uh, of uh, Russia and Ukraine, you know, our our old friend and we have we have friends and, and, and we are we are we are friends with people. We may not agree with them on on all issues all the time, but our friend Scotty Hughes years ago came in for a lot of criticism, especially from the left, when she made the statement, which turned out to be profoundly accurate and profoundly prescient, that there's no such thing as facts anymore. Uh, now, and then there are obviously such things as facts, but what she was talking about was that we are living in, as you've said, this post-truth world. When you have a situation in which a nominee, first of all, when you have someone who is nominated for the Supreme Court, um, uh, that they have to be asked how to, how to define how they define what a woman is. Uh, and then they turn around and they say that they can't define what a woman is because they're not a biologist. There is something plainly off kilter with this world today. Yeah. And, and again, I've been very public about how Joe Biden, even with all of the fortification of the 2020 election, i.e. the corporations and the uh, tech companies really uh, pushing to defeat the orange man, uh, but notwithstanding that truth, um, the uh, I've been very differential and I've always been this way. I think that if Joe Biden or a Republican or a Democrat wins the White House, uh, then if the uh, nominee is qualified, i.e. Uh, has has work experience, right. has worked uh, either in politics, the law, uh, if they have a wide experience and they are qualified, well, then even if they disagree with your judicial philosophy, the fact of the matter is, well, you lost the election. However, and I've been this way with, with Supreme Court nominee Jackson, in fact, even on Tuesday, getting in trouble with WBAL listeners because they were like, you're selling out, Jerry. How could you say you would uh, you would vote for her, or at least you understand why some would vote for her. And again, because I've been consistent all my life. But but here's the thing, yeah. to your point, when she could not give a rational answer to yeah. what defines a woman, 
Yes. In my mind, that was it. She disqualified herself. And, and it's important. And it's important on so many levels. And it's funny because I, I, I want to agree with you on this because I, I and I, I want to take some of our colleagues, both colleagues who are supporting uh, Judge uh, Jackson, as well as uh, uh, colleagues who are opposing Judge Jackson to task on a whole host of things. Right. If you're if you are criticizing Judge Jackson, if you think that she is not qualified because of her credentials, that's not the right approach to take. If you are engaging right. in some kind of character assassination because you don't believe she scored high enough on her LSAT score, that is the wrong approach to take. This is correct. Not what you should be focusing yes. On. Um, at the same time, if you are blithely dismissive of the problems in her judicial record uh, and you're on our side, that's that's a problem, right? You focus on what she has accomplished as a legal jurist and as a legal scholar and what she's saying in her in her uh, in her nomination hearings. And that's what you focus on, which is the whole purpose uh, of these things. Uh, but but I want to I want to circle back to something, Jerry, which is you and I have had a, a long standing discussion about the usefulness versus the uselessness of the libertarian <laughs> movement. And yes. I don't know if you've seen this, but the Cato Institute has come out and endorsed uh, Judge Jackson for the Supreme Court. And it is it has raised huge red flags. And I'm sitting here going, well, Jerry has been talking about this for years, the uselessness of our libertarian brethren uh, on these kinds of things. And, and listen, it only comes and it only comes down to her record uh, on on the issues of over incarceration, which is something you and I are going to incidentally the over criminalization issue is something sure. you and I are going to discuss in a later episode. But again, it's so patently unhelpful uh, right. that our friends at Cato are doing this. Go ahead. Well, again, the 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 biggest the biggest issue with our libertarian friends has always been. Uh, they are men and women without country. They are not loyal to anything. They're not loyal to the Constitution, right? Our our mentor, our friend, our old boss, Fred Smith, would say things like uh, the Constitution uh, isn't perfect, but it's the only thing we have. I mean, they they really take this, um, uh, uh, we're, we're above you, outside of you. Look, if you're a person of faith, your understanding of God is that he exists outside of time and space. This is the libertarian. He or she believes they live outside of time and space. And, and they have no sense of loyalty, no sense of belonging, no sense of community. And that's why uh, Cato can endorse Justice Jackson or nominee Jackson, because very simply, well, they know she's going to be nominated. She's going to be confirmed uh, and they get to beef up their credentials of sure. not being Republican. Uh, yes. And, and that's and that's the thing, which is which it's funny because I'm, I'm reminded of as I think about this. Right. I, I'm reminded of a conversation we had on the old podcast with our former friend, Jenna Ellis. Um, in which I talked about the issue of the the balancing of interest test in terms of the law, right? That sure. that 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 law is born out of the intersection of the expression of rights, and that laws are created, and the law is supposed to come down on the party that is more grieved in that interaction. And she didn't like that definition um, for whatever reason. And I and I sit here and I and I think about this. What does this have to do with Cato? And I think about the issues that Cato works on. 
right? Which is a whole breadth of issues, not just criminal justice reform. But I think of the good work that Cato has done on speech issues and the good work that Cato has done on the Second Amendment, the good work that Cato has done on regulation and all of these things. And I sit here and I think, well, wait a minute. If I look at, I know that Judge Jackson, she's going to be radical. She's not going to be quite as radical probably as Sonia Sotomayor, but understanding her record she is going to be on the wrong side of just about every issue, sure. with the exception of criminal justice reform, that the Cato Institute is advocating on behalf of. And, and then again, right, Cato doesn't do any advocacy, right, because they're, a, they're yeah. a think tank. But, but, anyway, but let, let me just say two things on that. Number one, again, because, and you know this because I, I, I spoke to you about it, I paid little attention to this process, this judicial yeah. process, up until maybe a day or two ago when you were prepping for your show. Yes. I well, yeah. And then, but now that I've paid attention, I know this to be true. She is the most uninformed nominee. I think perhaps ever to the Supreme court, certainly in the last 50 years. And I say that because she was asked questions like, um, when does human life begin? And again, refused to engage. She sure. was asked. She was asked the question: uh, At 20 weeks, uh, an unborn child, uh, uh, if there's a prenatal operation, uh, they uh, are given um, anesthesia. Yes. Uh, if there's operations, why? Because at 20 weeks, uh, the unborn child can feel pain. Yeah. And so, and so, these are facts. Well, and, but. And, and, but, but- Right. But, but, but here's the thing. But she was asked. She was asked a very simple question um, at 20 weeks. Can an unborn child feel pain? And and again, she's uninformed. This but, is a okay, but this is a Google search. You're saying she's uninformed. Yes. I don't think she's uninformed. I mean, right. The, the, there are the two options here. Oh, OK. I'm There's sorry. You're, you're, oh, no, no, you're right. Yes. You're right. You're, you're, yes. you're ahead of me and you're right. Yes. Either either she's not answering right. such questions because of the the implications of answering them yes. or, or she's on the form. The second, the, the second thing. And, about, I, and I think it's, and I think it's, 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 she doesn't want to answer the question. So she's saying she doesn't know, go ahead. Sure. And, and, and then the second thing on criminal justice reform um, and you and I are in, in, in very large, uh, large uh, in, in, in large point in agreement with some of our friends on the left on, on, I was against three strikes and you're in or three strikes and you're outlaws when it happened. By the way, that was given to us by the Democrats yeah. and by Joe Biden signed by uh, signed by Bill Clinton. I was against it because I didn't want to take discretion out of the hands of prosecutors 100%. and judges. Yes. Uh, but here's the thing. If you want to change criminal justice law, uh, you do not become a judge. That's right. You run for governor or you run for uh, legislature. See, and I have a I have a problem with a judge uh, who is going to make decisions based on policy and not based on the law. You might not like the law, but the fact of the matter is the law is the law is the law. If you want to change the law, run for Congress, run for state legislature. Getting back to our friend Ilya Shapiro. I know I keep saying our friends, former former podcast guest. I love saying this. Yes. Podcast guest Ilya Shapiro, who warned us about the politicization of the court. One of the what, what we don't want is a court that has to interject itself right. into these kinds of debates. That if the legislatures were doing their job, um, then we wouldn't then the courts wouldn't have such tremendous power. 
And, and, and again, you know, we, we spend a lot of time, you and me, talking about regular order and, and issues yes. there and a return to normalcy. And all of these things go hand in hand in a system that is, right, as, as you just said, as for, is better than, better than other systems, but is broken in so many ways um, that these fights wouldn't be so life and death if people would do their jobs and do their jobs in a proper manner. Right. Look, and, and here's a very practical and, and uh, uh, near example of this. Uh, of all places, the Washington Post has a great piece, uh, either from last night or, or today, on how uh, many, many of these testing pop-ups, right? Mm. The COVID testing pop-ups, oh, yeah. uh, how they received hundreds of millions of dollars from COVID monies uh, only to, again, pop up for testing and the testing protocols were wrong. And in, in, in several cases they, they, they gave one, they gave one example of a woman who had a husband who had just had a kidney transplant and she was feeling ill. She went to a pop-up, a pop-up that had received $184 million from rescue monies. Wait, the pop-up uh, had received 184 million. Well, the the, the the lab, okay, and the lab, the lab had these pop-ups. It. it became oh, one it. of the. You know, so I'm wanted sorry. To, wanted to make sure. Wanted to make sure there wasn't some pop-up on some. No, no. Well, 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 that's what happened. I mean, right? what, listen, I wouldn't wouldn't put a pass of a pop-up no. in Baltimore. To but, again, I, again, I my, my point my point is is that there there in many states there are these small lab companies uh, that because of the need for testing and the federal dollars involved, yeah. they created these pop-up pop-up. Uh, 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 ancillary um, uh, uh, to their main practice. Yes. Anyway, so this woman goes to this practice, this practice had, which had received $184 million uh, and she gets a, a negative test. Now, in retrospect, it's like, it's like memory after the crime. In retrospect, she's remembering things that were out of order. For instance, the technician never had a lab coat on. The technician never changed his gloves from patient to patient. Uh, and anyway, she received a negative test. Uh, five days later, her symptoms were worse, uh, went to the hospital, got tested. She was positive. Her husband, this is from January yeah. of this year, her husband, wow. kidney transplant, caught COVID. And today, uh, and today's, you know, we're in, we're in late March. Uh, today, he's on a ventilator. My, my point in saying this is, is that how the government responded to COVID uh, was wrong. And yeah. if you, and if you, and if you said it was wrong, if you, if you pushed back uh, again uh, in this post-truth uh, uh, culture that we're in, instead of engaging in the idea of maybe we should do this differently or better, uh, instead of going to regular order to have committee hearings, to know about wh- where this money is going and how it's being spent. Instead, it's, uh, it's either you are with us or you're against us. Sure. And if you're, and if you're against us, you have to be banned. And, yeah. it, and, 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 and it impacts every, every part of life. You know, and it's interesting, Jerry, because to turn it, because we're going to spend a lot of time talking about this with Bill, um, Bill Pasco, our guest in a couple of minutes, you know, it, it, it comes back into, you, you know, the, the discussion of, of Russia and Ukraine. And, sure. you know, you and I have had these conversations. You and I had a very heated conversation a couple of weeks back, not that I want to revisit that, but but the point is, is that <laughs> we had maybe our most unproductive podcast conversation in the history of us doing this. Yes, yes. And I think part of it is because of of, again, because you and I are not immune uh, to the frustrations and the pressures of the 
of the overall debate. And, and the fact of the matter is, this president, and I know where you're going, I'll let you go there. No, 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 it's fine. But this, this president, regardless of, of if you believe this propaganda or, or this, this president has responded shamelessly to the Russia-Ukraine con- uh, uh, yes. uh, 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 conflict. No, and, and, and that's that's my point, is that, is that you and I are trying to seek truth. We're trying to fi- figure out exactly what's going right. on and exactly what's happening. And in an era where you can't ask questions without it coming back and boomeranging on you, this is a this is a legitimate problem. You know, it's so funny. I wrote a piece. We're going to talk about this with Bill, and, and we're going to break in a second. But I read a, a, a piece yesterday by this Russian philosopher, and I use that term very loosely. I'm putting out air quotes, uh, Alexander <laughs> Dugin who is a, a, an advisor <laughs> to Putin and is writing about sort of Russo-centric values. And he's drawing on the work of, a, of an early 20th century political geographer named Halford McKinder, someone who, whose work I'm very familiar with. And as I was writing about this to a group of conservative bloggers who were having this discussion, I had to be very careful about what I was writing because I didn't want to be perceived as pro-Russia or pro-Dugan, but the point is, right. I am of course. reading everything. Well, again, again, not, 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 a, not, not a friend of ours, and I know we have to go to our guests in, yep. in less than 30 seconds, but uh, uh, you know, there's a, a conservative celebrity, Candace Owens, yes. uh, who has, who has, um, who has well, questioned listen, the... Marjorie Taylor Greene. I mean, right. you know, but go ahead about Candace Owens. Yes. But Candace Owens, uh, critical of the uh, uh, of the Ukrainian government, its corruption, and the New York Times tried to gotcha, tried to call her yes. out in terms of why are you promoting Russian talking points, and she simply sent back to the New York Times their own news and yes. commentary on how the Ukraine government was corrupt. Now, I I say this only because. Media journalism is all about gotchaism now. It's not journalism; yes. it's gotchaism. The hot but take. That, and that being Sorry, said, yeah. Russia invaded Ukraine. Putin 100%. is a dictator. Russia must withdraw with no conditions. And yes. and I hope the Ukraine army beats the living shit out of the Russian army. This is this is part this of my is, language. Yeah, no, it's all right. This is this is Russia's fault. Where we yes. are right Thank now you. is Russia's fault. Uh, despite Hate what Marjorie Taylor Green. Well, that woman. I'm sorry. Said. I have to say this. That woman is absolutely off her rocker. Well, yes, and and we're going to talk about this. We're going to spend a little bit of time. Wait, wait, wait. About what this did you and I show. talk about yesterday offline? I know we got to go, but I said, you know, the left is always accusing the right of white yes. supremacy, and it, it's become the it's it's it, it's it's a charge used so often that it's now an empty charge. And I said yes. to you, I said, this woman Green. I she think is actually, well. is actually a white supremacist. She may very well be a white supremacist. <laughs> All right. Listen, with that in mind, uh, after the break, we're going to be joined by our guest, Bill Pasco, uh, for our expert advice segment. In fact, let's go to it. Uh, let's go to expert advice. Expert advice. Well, we are back. Welcome to our expert advice segment here on Andrew and Jerry Save the World. Very excited to bring our guest on as someone I've had on the radio a, a number of times, and we never get a chance to talk nearly as thoroughly as we might want to, uh, whether it's for one eight-minute segment or two eight-minute segments. It's never enough time. His name is Bill Pasco. Uh, he is a longtime conservative activist, uh, political activist, policy activist. Uh, he is now uh, also the Tea Party Patriots man in Washington. Bill, 
Listen, so glad to, to have you here. Um, was thinking about you the other day as I was writing this piece uh, with our, our mutual friend Shonda Wary on misinformation in Russia and the concept of Samizdat uh, and and the issue of the, the Kribal Foundation and the Kribals and their efforts in Russia. You, I had forgotten that you were a part of this. Talk a little bit about the, the work that the Kribals did in hastening the end of the Cold War and where you were when the wall fell. Well, well first, it's, it's great to be with you, Andrew, Jerry. Yeah. Thank you all for having me. Uh, okay, so Bob Kriebel, uh, founder of the Loctite Corporation, uh, a man who built a multi-billion dollar company that was doing business in 140 countries around the world. Uh, he had been a longtime conservative donor. Um, in, the, in the late 80s, uh, I was at the Heritage Foundation I left the Heritage Foundation in the summer of 1988 to join the Bush quail campaign as the liaison to the conservatives. So all the conservatives in the country who had an idea for the campaign, an event or a policy idea, or here's a good attack against Mike Dukakis, that would flow into my little cubby hole and I would sort through them all and, and take, the, take the better ones to the campaign manager, Lee Atwater. And we, we used to say that uh, that, that was the campaign uh, where we used to say Peggy Noonan sat on Bush's left shoulder and whispered kinder, gentler. And I was, I was sitting on his right shoulder whispering meaner, nastier, meaner, nastier. Uh, but anyway, after that campaign, and the reason I bring that up is because it, it had a lot to do with setting me up for my next job, which was to go to work for Bob Kriebel. Um, at the Heritage Foundation, I had been writing on third world affairs, what was going on particularly in Central America and in Southern Africa, where we had one thing in common, Cubans. Uh, Cubans as the expeditionary force of the Soviet Union. Uh, and in Mandate for Leadership 3, the third volume of the Mandate for Leadership series that came out in 1988, that was a policy guide for the incoming administration, and remember, these policy guides were set up so that regardless of who won the presidential election, you still had the policy guide saying, this is what you ought to do. Whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, these policies make sense. Uh, you remember in the mid 80s, we had something called the Reagan Doctrine. Oh, yeah. The Reagan, the Reagan Doctrine, very simply, it was uh, the idea of U.S. support for the guerrilla movements that were operating at the periphery of the Soviet empire. For, for 30 years, from 1945 to 1975, guerrilla wars in the third world were all pro-Soviet guerrillas operating against pro-Western governments. Uh, whether it was Africa or Latin America or Asia, it was always the same thing. It was a Soviet-backed guerrilla movement operating against a Western allied government. But in 1975, the paradigm shifted and in Angola, uh, you had the first stirrings of a new wave that was going to be pro-Western guerrillas operating against a pro-Soviet and a Soviet-backed government. Interesting. Uh, and and we, we saw this in 1975 in Angola and then in 1977 in Nicaragua. Uh, well, actually, in, in, in 77 in Nicaragua, we still had a communist insurgency that toppled the pro-Western government that was immediately followed by the birth of a pro-Western insurgency operating against the pro-Soviet government. So sure. Nicaragua went through an awful lot in a very short period of time. But all of a sudden, in the space of five or six years between 1975 and 1981, 
You had Angola, you had Vietnam, Laos, Cambodia, Afghanistan in 1979. Um, and then, of, of course, you, you had Mozambique and Ethiopia as well. So um, what was interesting was that when Ronald Reagan became president in 1981, he had the opportunity to start supporting these pro-Western guerrilla movements. And there were a couple of people who were really crucial to naming this the Reagan Doctrine. One was a speechwriter, then a speechwriter in the White House by the name of Dana Rohrbacher, who then went on yeah. after, the, after the Reagan presidency, Dana got himself elected to Congress from California and had a long career in Congress. Uh, one of his very good friends, going back to the 1960s, uh, in, the, in, in the leadership of the Youth for Reagan movement, when Ronald Reagan was first running for governor of California in 1966, was a young guy back then, young guy by the name of Jack Wheeler. Jack Wheeler is, to my mind, he, I, I don't even know how to describe him. He's a real-life Walter Mitty. Um, okay. he, he, he runs, to this day, he still runs an adventure expedition company. Uh, you hire Jack Wheeler to take you on camelback for six weeks through the steps of South, Southwest Asia, retracing Marco Polo's route. Wow. <laughs> or, you hire, or you hire Jack Wheeler to take you on two weeks on elephant back um, into Northern Italy. Sure. Uh, retracing Hannibal's route. I sure. mean, it's just the most incredible stuff. But the flip side was Jack Wheeler was the only man that I knew who had physically been out in the field with all eight anti-Soviet insurgencies. Wow. Between 1975 and 1985. He had been, he had been in Afghanistan. He'd been in Nicaragua. Uh, he'd been in Vietnam. He'd been in Angola multiple times. Anyway, uh, so it comes to the end of the 88 campaign, and Bob Creeble calls me up. Now, he knew me. He was the vice chairman of the Heritage Foundation board, and I had been, prior to going to work for the, the Bush quail campaign, I had been at the Heritage Foundation for three years as a policy analyst, writing about this stuff in the third world. And in that mandate for leadership three, we had written, we had taken the Reagan doctrine, and we'd taken it a step further, and we said, let's call it the liberation doctrine. Uh, and this is what a U.S. government elected in 1988 should do in the coming four years. And we wrote very specifically about how to take those anti-Soviet insurgencies and turn them into political movements uh, that went right at the heart of the beast inside the Soviet Union itself. And Bob Creeble came to me and he said, listen, I'm very interested in hiring you for two reasons. One, because you've spent three years writing about this stuff. Um, two, because I give an awful lot of money to the conservative movement, and you've just spent 100 days at the presidential level working with every group in the conservative movement. And that tells me that you know much better than I do which conservative groups actually have boots on the ground and which ones are paper organizations where I might inadvertently be funding the executive director's very nice office space, but there really isn't a lot of there there. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I said, I know exactly what you mean, because you're right. There's, just as in, the, in, in all political movements, sure. you find that there are people who actually have real organizations, and then there are people who don't really have real organizations. Yeah. And that, what he wanted to do was take the money that he was going to save by not giving it any longer to the people who didn't have real organizations. He was going to take that money and redirect it to one project behind the Iron Curtain. He said, I want to rip up the Soviet Union from the inside out. Can you help me? <laughs> Wow, uh, everything I had done in life had prepared me for that gig. 
And so I spent the next 18 months uh, taking his money and distributing it behind the Iron Curtain. I spent about 15 days a month in Central and Eastern Europe. Uh, in the, in the, beginning in the spring of 1989, we, we set up offices right there in the Heritage Foundation building. And I was spending time in London and Paris and Vienna. And then I started spending time in Budapest and Warsaw. Uh, I, was, I was actually in, well, in, in the spring of 89, I had a conversation with a, a Russian dissident uh, who said, do you have software for us? What we need is software. This is the hardware that you're bringing us is great. Because at that time, what we were doing, we started off smuggling computers behind the Iron Curtain. And this was in the very early days of personal computers. Sure. I, I had a deal with a company in Maryland that was manufacturing IBM clones. And I could buy an IBM clone for $4,000. Wow. And so I would buy truckloads. I would buy 20 IBM clones in big boxes, huge boxes, sure. these and that would be about a truckload. I could get 20 into, into a medium-sized truck and we could transport that to Poland and then pay the right border guards and it would be smuggled across the, across the border. And eventually it would make its way to the right group in, in Leningrad or Moscow or wherever. Uh, after a while, they, they started calling me saying, you know, we, we love this, um, can we get more? And I said, what do you mean? I, I just sent you 20. They said, yeah, but we only have three left. Said, what do you mean you only have three left? What'd you do with the others? He said, well, we sold them. So wait a minute, why, why are you selling them? I'm giving them to you. He says, yeah, but we're, we're selling them because we don't know what you're paying, but we get $75,000 in cash for one of these things. Wow. Like, wow, we just came up with a new business. Let me yeah. get you a lot more. So, <laughs> so all of a sudden, uh, we began funding the project by selling on the black market stuff that we were manufacturing over here. Um, and and that, became, that became a new source of revenue. And Bob Creeble was just thrilled that being the entrepreneur he was, this was a guy who made his money by inventing a product. Um, he, he has patents. He, he had patents. Um, back in the 1940s, he was at Bell Labs. He has a PhD in chemistry. And he developed an adhesive. Uh, he created, invented an adhesive that had unique properties. It kept, if you had two cylinders, one inside the other, it prevented them from doing this, but it didn't prevent them from doing this. Well, guess what? Automobiles use sure. pistons. Yeah. And all of a sudden, virtually every car that's manufactured uses a version of that adhesive. That's so he's selling his product all over the world and he becomes a billionaire. Let's 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 time out for everything. Let's shift gears for a minute because because we 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 we're gonna we'll come back to the information age and the fall of the Soviet Union and, and where you were. But I want to talk about the present conflict, and, and because you know we we've had a conversation with Tony Schaefer. We had a, a professor named Paul Prost on the show uh, to talk about the history of this. You were on the ground, and you know we, you and I are seeing we've we've had these conversations. There are a lot of narratives floating around. A lot of narratives floating around from our friends on the right about whose fault this is. Let's ask a very general question, Bill. Whose fault is this invasion of Ukraine? Well, it's, that's easy. Vladimir Putin is the guy who made the decision to send Russian troops across right. an internationally recognized border. Period. End of sentence. End of paragraph. And 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 that's that's everything else is just static, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the bottom line. It doesn't make any difference right. what the reasons are. There's right. an internationally recognized border that 
Russia recognized. Yes. Uh, you know, not too long ago, Ukraine had the third largest nuclear arsenal in the world. Yeah. Um, if they had kept that nuclear arsenal back in the 1990s, I, I dare say Vladimir Putin would have not sent Russian troops and tanks and trucks and everything else across that internationally recognized border. Uh, why did Ukraine give up the third largest nuclear arsenal in the world? Because the then Russian government and then American government was so worried, the two governments together, in the wake of the breakup of the Soviet Union itself. The, the, the Brits were in there too, doing no good as well. So, <laughs> so the, the point was what we were worried about in the 1990s was, was two things. We were worried about rogue nukes. Yes, uh, we we right. were worried about um, the lack of control over nuclear materials that, that could become a problem in the sense that, gee, how many people does it take to steal a couple nuclear warheads and sell them on the black market to a terrorist group that might want to just take a take a nuclear warhead into Times Square. And if you think if you think an IBM computer is worth something, yes. imagine imagine what a <laughs> nuclear weapon is worth. I'm sorry, Phil. Amen. Exactly. This is this is a, a, a very very real. Hey, one of George Clooney's first movies with Nicole the Peacemaker. Yes, seven. The Peacemaker is all about the loose nuke. It's not yes. the guy with an arsenal that scares me. It's the guy with one nuclear warhead that scares me. That's right. That's a real and, problem. So, yes. so the Russian government and the American government both made promises to the Ukrainian government that we will have your back. If you give up the nuclear weapons you have now, we'll sign treaties. We'll have your back. Uh, you know, Vladimir Putin is the reason that there is death and destruction going on right now and has been for the last four weeks. Uh, I, I don't care to hear any excuses. Uh, he, could, he started this war. He could end this war. He could give an order today to his defense minister to say, withdraw the troops right now. Tell them yes. to stop fighting, stop shooting, get the heck out. Uh, that's the, that's the, the bottom line truth here. Vladimir Putin is responsible for what's happening. And let me let me ask a question, you know, not get into the specifics of what maybe Marjorie Taylor Greene has said, um, but but let me ask you this. But, uh, Angela, let, let oh, go ahead, Jerry. Just to color your question. Please. I don't want to give too much credence. You're correct. There 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 are rumblings about Ukraine corruption and the rest of it. But for the most part. I think uh, I think the, the 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 political establishment broadly very supportive of Ukraine, but also the conservative movement broadly very uh, very uh, very um, uh, supportive of Ukraine, but more importantly anti-Putin. But but time out for a second, Bill, before you answer that, because this is a legitimate this is a legitimate debate that Jerry and I are having here, and I I suspect that you and I share the concern that we're, the, there are conservatives, legitimate mainstream conservatives for which we are losing the narrative here, that otherwise rational, right-thinking conservatives are saying all kinds. I mean, yes, Marjorie Taylor Greene is a fringer, but there are legitimate people who have sort of lost this. Where, where do you come down on all this? Are you concerned about this from sort of mainstream conservatism? Well, I, I see that there's all kinds of questions being raised. And, and, and let's face it, here's, here's a problem that we have to deal with. The mainstream media 
has done such a poor job of mm. reporting actual facts uh, <laughs> that have to do, let's just talk about Russia and Ukraine. Let's just confine ourselves. Let's, let's, not, even, let's not even talk about 100 years of bad reporting on Russia by the New York Times. The New York sure. Times that gave us John Reed, who, who yes. wrote from Moscow, who, who wrote about the Bolshevik Revolution and talked oh, yes. about it as an adventure. And what an adventure it was. <laughs> or a dozen yeah. years later, Walter Durante, correspondent for the New York Times, wins a Pulitzer Prize for his quote-unquote coverage of the Stalin-era Soviet Union that somehow or other totally misses forced collectivization of the Ukraine that leads to the death of millions of people, farmers, the kulaks, yes. yeah. or, 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 or go 30 years into the future and will we'll ignore the work of Herbert L. Matthews, correspondent for the New York Times, who reports to the world that no, Fidel Castro is not dead. He's alive and well and kicking and gosh, he's good looking and, and wow. Um, you know, maybe at some point in the future, he might even have an affair with a Canadian prime minister's wife. I don't <laughs> know. Uh, um, he's got it in him, I think. You know, maybe him and Mick Jagger together. Who knows? Anyway, wow. <laughs> um, let's let's totally overlook a hundred years of bad reporting on yeah. Russia by the New York Times. Let's just focus on on what we had a couple of years ago, uh, which is back in the news. The Hunter Biden laptop from hell. <laughs> For gosh sakes, we had 51 national security and intelligence community professionals led by John Brennan and James Clapper and Mike yep. Morrell and Mike Vickers. These guys all came out and said, you, you remember the, the, the essence of the laptop story was, sure, wow, sure. Uh, we, we've got Hunter Biden emails over a number of years. We've got documents. We've got taxes, tax returns in here. We've got evidence that Joe Biden was lying when he said, I've never spoken to my son about his overseas feelings. Yep. That was just a crock. And instead, and the New York Post reported this, and instead of following up the way good newspapers do on another newspaper's breaking story, well, okay, they've got, they've got this part of the story, but you know, this is going to be a big story. What can we report on? That's the way a good newspaper handles something like that. Instead, the New York Times, the Washington Post, everybody else immediately got in the business of shutting down the New York Post, saying there's, yes. no, there's no there there. And as part of that project, 51 former intelligence community professionals signed a letter saying, very cleverly worded, saying this has all the classic hallmarks of a Russian information operation. Sure. Now, they, they then said in the very next paragraph, to their credit, they covered their asses and they said, of course, we want to be clear. We have no evidence at all that this is a Russian information operation. We're just saying it really looks like one. Okay, so they've covered themselves. Did that second paragraph make it into the coverage of the New York Times? <laughs> Maybe in the 32nd paragraph, if you had the time to read to the 32nd paragraph, but that first, second, and third paragraph said 51 intelligence community professionals say this is a crock. There's nothing to see here. These are not the droids you seek. Move on. Okay, okay. If, if you didn't have that background, then maybe it wouldn't, maybe we wouldn't have the problems that we have today with people trying to figure out what's actually going on over there. And, and also to, to, to add to Bill's point, um, the left, and the left is so ubiquitous, it's, it's everyone but us, uh, they still are fighting the Trump war. 
And so oh, yeah. therefore, therefore, whenever there is a legit question raised about Ukraine or or, or something of that nature, the left, i.e. the New York Times and and Hollywood and the media want to say, look, they're all in Putin's pocket. This Putin pocket thing is still a big uh, a, a big boogeyman uh, to the left because uh, because they 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 see it as a as a mechanism to 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 win elections and to keep power. And that's part of the problem here. And that is we don't care about the truth. We don't care about we don't care about 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 facts. We just care about making sure uh, that we keep power, that we keep uh, that we keep this hierarchy in place where there's us and then there's all the rest of you. And you have to live as we tell you to live anyway. Bill, how much of this mistrust of the media and mistrust of the institutions, how much of this is by design by, say, Russian intelligence, right? I, talk talk a little bit about that and about the sort of the history here. Well, that, that is a great question. We, we know that I, I remember being a young policy analyst at the Heritage Foundation in the mid-80s, and one of the things that we were worried about then was Russian disinformation, Soviet disinformation blocks. Uh, there was a, a, a great two novels back-to-back, The Spike and Monimbo, were written by Arnaud de Borgrov and, and Robert Moss. Arnaud de Borgrov was the uh, foreign correspondent for Newsweek magazine, who then eventually became the editor of the Washington Times newspaper. Uh, he wrote two novels in the late 70s, early 80s about the problem of Russian disinformation plots. That's what the spike was all about. The spike is a, is a news media term about an editor who decides, no, we're not going to publish my reporter's story no matter how well he's reported and written it, I'm going to put it on the spike. That, that's what it means. To spike a story is to kill a story. Uh, and, and you had these novels that, that were written by a guy who was in position to know, who had been around the world, had talked to heads of state, was, was intimate with many of them, and he knew uh, about the, the depth, the extent of KGB disinformation plots. Uh, so that was something that we were very concerned about in the 1980s. I, I can tell you, when I was at the Heritage Foundation, I once I, I wrote a paper on Soviet strategy in Southern Africa, and not too long after that, I had a phone call from a counselor at the Soviet embassy who wanted to meet with me. Oh boy! We I actually had to go to the top levels of the Heritage Foundation to get permission to let this guy into the building. And back then, uh, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if you remember, but before we have the Lehrman Auditorium in the in the Heritage Foundation building, this lovely auditorium that exists now, believe it or not, that area was originally a coat room. And that's where I was allowed to meet this Soviet minister. In the coat room. <laughs> coat room. They, they wow. wouldn't let him back to the row of elevators. Quite literally cloak and dagger. He might, he might drop a microphone. So, you know, sure. Let, let, uh, just a comment and then a question for Bill. Uh, the first time when I when I uh, came down to D.C. for my second stint, I had been down here, worked for a member of Congress, went back up to New York, worked at Manhattan Institute, then came back down here to work for uh, work for pharma. And uh, the first person I called was Bob Moffat uh, of, of the Heritage Foundation. And I remember he took me to Cafe Mozart, which unfortunately is just closed. And we walk in and he's looking behind curtains, drapes. He's opening doors. He's peeking around corners. I'm like, is this guy crazy? 
And we sat down and I said, I, I said, look, not for nothing. I got to ask you this. Are you a crazy old guy or is, there, <laughs> is, or is there a purpose for this? And he told me, uh, uh, you know, he, he, he made reference about Russians. But, he, but then he said, and Ted Kennedy's staff meets here. And I don't want them hearing anything that we're going to say. So, so the, so the, so the, the heritage has always been uh, uh, very uh, has policed uh, against uh, against spying. But l- let me ask you this: so, fifty-one former intelli- intelligence officers signed this uh, this uh, this letter uh, uh, pertaining to the uh, Hunter uh, laptop. They all know the history of Russian Soviet misinformation. Yeah. We, we now know, right, everyone admits, even the New York Times, that the uh, that the information on the laptop is legit. Where are the patriots? Where are the uh, of the of this group of 51? Why haven't they stood up and said I was wrong, stood up and said we need to uh, look at this uh, with different eyes? That's that's what bothers me. Yeah, that, that that on our side, I, and 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 Bill, you would know this. There have been instances where people have resigned because of an unprincipled uh, move by someone in our movement, uh, and but the left doesn't seem to do that. But you'd think these fifty-one patriots would do that. Why haven't they done that? You know, there, there's one guy who sticks out like a sore thumb in, in this particular aspect of it. Uh, I, I don't expect John Brennan and sure. I don't expect Jim Clapper to do that. Look, they, they make their money now as right. contributors to CNN. Well, that's the, that's the answer, right? Part of it is, is money. But yeah, that's, that's the answer for most of them. Uh, there's one guy that really does surprise me that, that I thought was more of a patriot and I expected to come out and say, wow, did we screw the pooch on that one? And that's Leon Panetta. Leon Panetta was, yeah. was originally a Republican, who sure. became a Democrat, which, which was not the time. And, and that, that's one of the things that makes Panetta so interesting. And in an era when the movement between parties or people announcing party switching, sure was almost entirely a one-way move from the Democratic Party to the Republican Party. He went the other way. He, he started life as a Republican and became a Democrat, long-serving member of Congress. He was a White House chief of staff. He was director of central intelligence. He was secretary of defense. Uh, I'm surprised that Leon Panetta has not come out and said in, in the wake of this, okay, you right. know what? We just, we had it wrong. But here's another Soviet disinformation, Soviet, I'm, I'm so old school, Russian, <laughs> Russian disinformation plan. Uh, I think the Steele dossier itself was Russian disinformation. Stop and consider what you've got. You, you've got, 100%. you got Christopher Steele, who's a former, uh, former British intelligence operative who hasn't been in Moscow for 20 years. Uh, why? Because he was identified by the Russians. They figured yes. out that guy's a British spy. He no <laughs> has cover, kick him out. And what is Britain? The UK has to say, OK, we'll find other work for you. Come back. Your, your cover is blown. So he hasn't been in, in Russia for 20 years doing his applying his trade, but he relies on his old network. Well, who's his old network? His old network is Russian spies. That's <laughs> as a British spy. It was his job to suborn Russian spies and get them yes. to feed him information. Gee, um, is it possible that 
as just part of a plan to just mess things up in the United States, wouldn't it be fun to roll a hand grenade into the other team's headquarters and just sure. exactly so when when Mueller and his team does their massive investigation spends 40 million dollars in two years investigating that's part of what the Russian government may well have said what could we possibly hope to gain out of sure. such a crazy idea I know we could get a special prosecutor appointed but again but but this be, but this begs the question right and and this is what bothers me and, and maybe I'm naive uh, you still have Adam Schiff. Uh, you still have others uh, on that side. They know it's all nonsense, yet they keep pushing, keep pushing. And they, again, they have to know if we can sit here on a podcast and talk about how this is likely Russian misinformation. Well, Adam Schiff knows that. Then why does he continue to push? Why is Adam Schiff a Democrat? But, in the face of all evidence, yes. to the contrary, that liberalism works. No, it doesn't work. <laughs> Why would somebody that you think is intelligent nevertheless stay a liberal? So, but, in but, but, the face and, of all, all the facts to the contrary, he stays a liberal because he's determined to, because yes. he, he's made his bed. He's got to lie in it. It's, it's just that simple. Yes, I, I get it. You know, Andrew and I talk about this, and we talk about the religiosity of the left. And uh-huh. and for for many on the left, this really is like this is a it's a faith. Yes. yes. And and it, you know and and what do you do when someone questions your faith? You double down on it often. Of yeah. Listen, all I know is from Good the answer. Steel Affair the fact that nobody's ever asked Nellie Orr, the former CIA case officer married to the senior Justice Department official uh, who was running the steel operation for Fusion GPS, why nobody has asked her why she applied for and got a ham radio operator's license. Um, you know, at the same time she was running Chris Steele, I, the, the, to me, that, that just, that just astounds me. Listen, bef- before we talk about music, let's come back to this. So we have all of this work that's being done. We are, you know, we, as a nation, we are working hard to undermine the Soviet union, uh, getting people the equipment that they need to spread I- information. Sam is dot magnet is dot all of these things. Um, the, the, we are now in December of, of 1989. Where are you as the wall is falling down? In November of 89, I was yeah. in Moscow. So, so in, in the spring of 1989, uh, I'd had a conversation with, with a Russian dissident who said, we need software. We love the hardware you're shipping in, but we yeah. need software. And I thought he was talking about maybe an actual software program to translate Russian into English or something like that. No, no, he was talking about training. I said, I said, what do you mean? He said, sooner or later, the communists are going to have to allow elections. And we're worried that it's going to be sooner rather than later. And I said, well, why is that? A, why is that a worry? Isn't that a good thing? And he said, no, no, no. You got to understand if there's one thing the communists are, it's organized. Yeah. Yes. We haven't been allowed to organize for 70 years. So we're worried that if they allow elections that are actually free elections, as free as they can be, they will have a huge head start because they know how to organize and we don't. Is there some way you could help us? And I thought, oh, you mean training. Oh, I know the best trainers in the business. I knew people like Paul Weirich and Morton Blackwell. Yeah. So I came back from that trip and I sat with Bob Kreeble and he heard me out and he said, that is the craziest idea I've ever heard. <laughs> you want to smuggle people behind the Iron Curtain and put on political training conferences in the heart of the beast. And I said, yep. yes. 
but that's said, but that's what he that that's what he charged you with, right? Yeah. He wanted to he wanted to blow them up from inside. That that was it. And, yeah. And he said, if you're game, I'm game. Wow. <laughs> Good for him. Wow. First, I said we we go talk to Paul, and we went and we talked to Paul, and and Paul said, I'm going to think about it. And he came back the next day and he said, I thought about it, I prayed about it. This is why God put me on this earth. And he then he then proceeded to tell us both the, the story of his upbringing in Racine, Wisconsin. He said on his block he had refugees from Soviet-backed communism. There was a Hungarian family on his block. There was a yeah. Polish family on his block. There was a, a a Romanian family on his block. And he grew up in the wake of these with with Eastern Europeans as his neighbors in the 1950s. Uh, who had all arrived in Racine, Wisconsin, as refugees from Soviet-backed communism. And so he wow. said, yes, absolutely, I will help. And we spent the next six months plotting, what do we have to do? And I said, okay, let's, let's get all the people together you would want to take behind the Iron Curtain. So we, we had half a dozen of his best trainers from around the country. And the one thing I said to them was, you got to remember, you guys are used to taking people who understand algebra, and you're going to teach them calculus. These people have yet to learn their multiplication tables. We have to go back to the utter basics. Now, meanwhile, I had there, there was a group called the National Republican Institute, still exists, sure. the National Republican yeah, yeah. Institute for International Affairs, part of the National Endowment for Democracy. And they were sending groups behind the Iron Curtain uh, into, into Eastern Europe, not into the Soviet Union, but into Poland and Czechoslovakia and places like that to talk about American-style democracy. And I went to one of these. I was asked to speak at one. And I was there with another Republican consultant who was much better known. If I if I said his name, you would both go, you would both say, "Oh, really?" Hmm. Uh, I, he's he's dead now. It was, it was a long time ago. Uh, we won't roll him over in his grave. But he got up <laughs> and he spent forty five minutes of his one hour talking about how to put together a television commercial. And I'm just sitting there looking at him. Moron! <laughs> You've got two hundred polls here who will never be able to put together a television commercial in their campaign. It sounds about like a, a Polish joke. Talk. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> about 45 minutes into his talk, he realizes, I've just wasted their time. Oh. <laughs> Wheels turning in his brain as he struggles to come up with something that could be relevant. And he says, I know, we're going to talk about phone banks. And he spends oh, no. talking about phone banks. And they're just staring at him. And, and so then it's my turn. I stand up and I said, wow. Uh, I'm curious, how many, people, <laughs> how many people have a television in your home and three people out of a room of 200? Oh, man. And, and then the next question, how many of you ever are afraid that that television is going <laughs> to blow up? <laughs> then, I, then I got up and I said, okay, how many people have a telephone in your home? And about 50, so about a quarter of them raised their hand. And I said, and I just kind of looked at him and he was like shrinking underneath. Oh. And I said, how many of you have a door? in your home. And they all raised their hand. I said, okay, we're going to talk about a door-to-door -door campaign. Yes. And we spent an hour talking about basics. So that's what we were doing. We put, we put together basic political training. Here's how Bill, you identify voters. Here's how you go meet them at their home. Bill, Bill let me let, let me just say, say two things because, and uh, man, I'm going to invite you back for another podcast because yeah. <laughs> there's so much. So two things. Number one, as as you're talking about this, I mean, honorable work that you've done over the years and the and 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 the men and women who have done it with you. 
there, there needs to be a, a, a there needs to be a a retelling of this. And yes, I mean, ha- have you thought about going to say Regnery or one of the publishing houses? Uh, because your 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 recall is phenomenal. Uh, phenomenal. Oh, hold on, time out, Jerry. Bill and I have had to have had discussions about his his, his memoirs already. But, already. but, but ahead, Bill, I, I would love to make an introduction. If you don't know Harry Crocker uh, over at Regnery, uh, this this is and and remember how Regnery made how how Regnery made its its name uh, by, by being the uh, the 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 historian of the early conservative movement. I mean, I met Gene Kirkpatrick at a Regnery's 25th anniversary. My point is, is that this is too important uh, not to be put down on paper. Number one, number two, it also saddens me. And, and I'm, and I'm very sincere about this, how, 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 um, and, and Andrew knows that I cry at a, at a, at a, at a pin drop, uh, but how the left has attacked American democracy and has attacked American values and principles. Um, could we have done this today? Uh, when, 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 again, think about uh, Blinken when he met with the Chinese in the first couple of weeks of the Biden administration, and he was talking about human rights, and, the, and his Chinese uh, uh, counterparts dismissed him and laughed at him and said, look, America has its, its own issues of human rights your history of racism and, and, and the Chinese could, could repeat back to Blinken uh, the principles of critical race theory and how America is this evil, no good, horrible place. And so, you know, and, and Reagan said it, we're one generation away from losing uh, this freedom. Um, America is, is special. And, 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 and I think it was Bob uh, who talked about, I've prayed on this. You know, I think God has had a special plan for America. And has blessed America because of that, because we have promoted freedom, even with our problems, right? No, no, look, we're all in the process of becoming, uh, and, and we won't be there until we're there. Uh, and America is the same way, but it worries me. I have five children, young kids. I mean, you know, 22 down to seven. I'm worried about what we're leaving them. And so I think, again, not to be over, overly dramatic, I think you need to, to organize these uh, these, uh, these, uh, this history and your thoughts and your, uh, and, and we need to get it down. So, so my kids can read about it and understand what they, what they've inherited. Anyway, I'm sorry. Well, I, I, I you're absolutely right. I'll, I'll give you two quick examples on that trip. So our first trip we took in November of 1989, we went to, uh, we, we started in Hungary, then we went to Moscow, then we went to Tallinn in Estonia. And in each place, we did a five day training session. Uh, with a couple hundred local small D democratic activists. One of the guys we trained on that very first training trip in Moscow, we were in Moscow. That, that's the answer to your question, Andrew. Yeah. We, were in, we were in Moscow on the day the wall fell. That's wow. insane. We did, we did not know for two days because there was a news blackout in Moscow. Sure. What I was watching in my, in my hotel room on television, when I turned on the television, I was watching film of the May Day Parade. And I knew from my studies of Soviet history that when the regime was deadlocked and they didn't know what they were going to do, all you saw on television was an endless loop of the May Day Parade, a a demonstration of Soviet military strength, just missile after missile after missile going in front of the Kremlin, showing off their military power. And for two days, that's all we saw. And finally, one of the guys on the trip was able to get a connection to his wife at home who said, honey, you're not going to believe it. 
the East Germans are climbing over the wall, the West Germans are climbing over the wall, and we thought, oh my God, the tanks are about to roll, and that's why we haven't been able to see any news on the television. And then, of course, the tanks didn't roll, and the wall was actually down. Um, I, I, will, I will tell you, Jerry, your comment about America as the beacon of freedom all over the world, one in Moscow on that trip, uh, I was able to trade one pair of Brooks Brothers khakis because Brooks Brothers is an internationally known brand. Even back in the 1980s, they recognized Brooks Brothers that that was American. They were willing to give me a military great coat <laughs> along with the hat. Sure. The hat that, that every Russian soldier wore. I got that for one pair of khakis. I, I was Brothers label on. I now, was I was there six months earlier, Bill, in, in Moscow and, and Leningrad doing the same thing. Go ahead. The even better story, though, was in, in the in the bushes of southeastern Angola on a trip to Jamba to meet with Jonas Savimbi and his high command, the Angolan rebels who were fighting the, the Soviet-backed government there. Uh, when we arrived finally uh, at, at a base camp, one of the soldiers was so excited to meet somebody from America that he went into the little hut that served as his barracks and he rooted around in his belongings and he came back out with his most prized possession. It was a deep blue New York Yankees baseball hat. <laughs> and, what he, and what he pointed out, he was very serious. He said, you know, uh, Red Sox hat, not the same. This uh -huh. says NY. So no matter who he was dealing with, when he was wearing that hat, everybody knew that he had something from New York. It was immediately recognizable as a product of America. It's, it's amazing to me. And it's part of the reason it, it just solidified me in my conservatism. I was a conservative before I went. But when I sure. spent time in the third world and saw the way those people responded to the United States and what they looked to the United States for, uh, it was it, it just absolutely solidified me. And, and the final story about that is probably the greatest honor of my life was in 1991, after the Soviet Union had dissolved and uh, freedom movements everywhere in this in the former Soviet Empire, both in Eastern Europe and inside the the former Soviet Union itself, after it broke up into its constituent republics. Uh, there was a guy named Vitautas Lenzbergis, who was a music professor at the University of Vilnius. He got himself elected the first freely elected president of Lithuania since World War II. Uh, and he came to the United States in 1981. And by that time, I, was, I had just left uh, Bob Kreeble's employ as a staffer. I had opened up a public affairs firm with a couple other friends, including Grover Norquist. Uh, and one of our clients was the Baltic American Freedom League, which was an organization, it's just what it sounds like. Baltic Americans around the country had gotten together uh, to become a lobbying organization, to lobby for stronger U.S. policy towards Lithuania, Latvia, and Estonia. They were hosting President Lensburgis on a trip to the United States. So he came to Washington for a couple of days, and then at his request, he wanted to fly across the country all the way to California because he wanted to shake hands with Ronald Reagan. Wow. And I was given the honor of introducing Vitautis Lensburgis to Ronald Reagan in President Reagan's retirement office there. In sure. And That's I can amazing. tell you, I, I've still got that conversation emblazoned in my memory uh, because President Lansburgis went first and he thanked, uh, he thanked President Reagan for America standing firm on the wall 
uh, standing as a beacon of freedom, a beacon of liberty, showing off to the world what free men and women could do, and never letting the, the lamp of liberty die. He used that phrase, never letting the lamp of liberty die. And President Reagan actually began to tear up. And the two of them were shaking. It was just, you know, one of those very firm handshakes that they don't let go. Yeah. So after about a minute, uh, President Landsbergis was done and he just kind of bowed his head and, and President Reagan didn't let go of his hand. And he said, no, sir, it is I who need to thank you on behalf of the American people and on behalf of all the people of the world. It is people like you who gave us the courage. You were behind the Iron Curtain. You were in the dark. It was easy for us. It was hard for you. It was your sacrifice and your example that gave us the strength to stand firm. Yeah. I just, you know, yeah. just hand me the the, the clean Sure. Air. Please. But but again, I, I love that story. My kids need to hear that story. Yeah. And and then. Yeah. So we got to do we we got to do better. We have to do better I, at telling. Tell, I, I mean, I, I you these talk about you talk about books. I, I, I see I see an Apple TV series. I see a Netflix series. You know, there, there's there's a there's a story to be told here. And I think some of it, I you know, nowadays, yes, it can be written. You know, now, it's, but I, I, I talked to my pastor recently, um, church attendance uh, since uh, COVID-19 in our church is down 50%. Yeah. And, uh, and there's all kinds of struggles that come along with that. And, and I'm a trustee of the church and we had, a, you know, we were having a conversation about it. And I said to him, I said, well, look, I said, what are we going to do? We're not going to close up shop. We're just going to keep on moving forward and, and trust God for the resources and, and we're going to do our duty and do our job and, 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 and tell others about, about this truth that we know. And I think that when I get discouraged about the political dialogue in this country, that, and I, Andrew and I talk about this all the time, we've lost every policy war for the past 40 years. In my, in my mind, I think we, we continue to lose, the left continues to advance. But my, but my point in this is that it doesn't make a difference. We still have to move forward and just speak the truth. And, uh, and we, and, but you know what? And I, I'm so happy that you came on and not that we're closing down or anything right now, because th this has, uh, I'm more committed now to just, again, speak the truth. Let me, let me, let me put a, put a question in here, Bill, because I, I mean, I, because I do want to talk music in, in, a, in a minute and we've kept you for a really long time. Oh, wait, 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 before you ask this question, Larry Swikart, do you know him, Bill? Bill? No. No. All right, so uh, we'll talk about this in the music section, but he uh, did a documentary called uh, uh, Rock in the Wall and how uh, American rock music helped bring down the uh, Berlin Wall. Well, it, this, talks, yeah. this yeah. gets into the whole magnetic anyway, death thing. But he's but an historian. Bill, I, because I want to talk to you about it. Given your experience in these third world nations, right, and the, the use of insurgencies to topple these governments, and I want to dovetail this also into asking you about what ought to be done in 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 Ukraine. But you know, some folks are 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 troubled by, shall we say, some of the some. Listen, I'll just I'll just focus on squarely. The the you and I have talked a little bit about this, the Azov Brigade, and I, I you've you've worked with insurgent armies. We can't be unfortunately when we're faced with the reality of oppressive invading forces or dealing with pushing back on oppressive regimes, 
unfortunately, sometimes we have alliances that we might not otherwise choose. I mean, am I right in, in, in thinking about this, just sort of talking about some of the criticisms that the left levied against some of our allies during the Cold War and then bringing it home to what's going on in Ukraine now? Talk a little bit about that, and then I want to get your thought as to what ought to be done next and, and no-fly zones and things like that. You, you know, when I, when I was in graduate school, um, the, the conflict in Central America was at its hottest point. I, I was in graduate school in 1983-84, so you had El Salvador and you had Nicaragua side by side, uh, and, and, and that was really my, my area of focus was, was the competition between U.S. and Soviets in the third world. Uh, and, and I remember reading a, a newspaper column by a then still relatively young and not yet well-known columnist by the name of Charles Krauthammer. And, and he wrote a line that, that was emblazoned. The, the, the theme was, was very simple. It is not our job to worry about the moral high ground. It is our job to capture the strategic high ground. If that gives us a better view of any nearby moral high ground, well, all the better. Uh, but, but the point is, as policymakers, and in our case, as hopefully policy influencers, that's the best we can hope for, is, is to try to nudge policy in the right direction, in a, in a more liberty-loving direction. Uh, we have to recognize, first off, we don't get paid to, to worry about the people of Ukraine. That's not my job. My job is to worry about the people of the United States. I worry about US strategic interests first and foremost. So even if I didn't know anybody, even if I hadn't seen any pictures on television or pictures in the newspaper, even if I had been exposed to none of that, if you just came to me and said, Russia is invading Ukraine, what should we do? My first thought is I can't allow that to happen because if I allow that to happen, then I'm sending a signal to China on Taiwan. I'm sending a signal to Iran on Saudi Arabia and Israel. I'm sending a signal to North Korea on South Korea. If I don't stand up and say to Putin, who is the first one to move, you can't do that. You can't just erase a line on a map because you woke up this morning and decided you wanted to do that. That's not the way it works. If I don't stand up and fight that, then I've got to worry about China taking over Taiwan, where I have other interests, where 92% of the chips that are manufactured that go into everything that we use in the United States, from the computers we're using to talk to one another right now, to the car that I'm going to drive to the grocery store, uh, to everything else, 92% of the chips that we use in the United States are manufactured in Taiwan. I don't want to have to find another source for chips because here, here. the Chinese have taken it over. I don't want to have to worry about Israel not existing anymore because the Iranians decide, wow, sure. the United States isn't going to stand up any longer for freedom and for people who stand for freedom. So even if I didn't know anything about what's going on inside Ukraine, I've got an interest in pushing back against Putin and his invasion. And, and, and that's where the that's where the moral. Now you can bring in the moral stuff. Right. It's just wrong. You don't, you don't need a, a degree in international relations to know what they're doing is wrong. They're killing they're innocent people, for God's sake. Stop it. And, and again, this is, this is, again, why the history of the movement, of the freedom movement, needs a, a better retelling. Uh, 
That's right. Because because yeah. Andrew, Andrew and I talk about this. And again, I'm, I'm going to say a name or two. And in no way am I am I um, uh, disparaging them or or wanting to call them out. However, as 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 a as a as a as a, as a way of, of of conversation of of conducting our conversation, there are too many conservatives today that haven't put in the homework. Here, here. So you know, Sarah Palin. I remember when uh, when she was chosen, and you know, there was a lot. Of, at, at first, there was a lot of excitement about Sarah Palin. You know, before she gone rogue. You know, there was a lot of of, of people excited about her. And then what happened was she never did her homework. Yes. She never, Ronald Reagan did his homework. He read Russell Kirk. He read, he understood uh, uh, these ideas. There are too many conservatives today in the movement who are more about uh, hits on Twitter, uh, more about celebrity than they are at, than they are at advancing freedom. And I think that's worrisome. I think we need, we need, again, the movement, all all types are are invited, but we have to know why we're doing what we're doing, and 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 that's why you get these kind of silly arguments over over Zelensky and 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 Russia and all the rest of it because we're not grounded uh, in 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 how to advance freedom. Yeah, yeah, I, I, all right. I agree. All right, um, uh, shifting gears. We're gonna have to. We're gonna have to have you back. I know, definitely these things. But but I listen. I do want to. <laughs> Because we've talked about a lot of serious and weighty issues, uh, the three of us are all huge music fans. Bill, I've I've told Jerry about your love of of music, um, but let's. I, I mean, and and Jerry and I have talked about this. the The issue of the of the greatest guitarist in rock. I know Jerry says that it's Jimmy Page. Want to know your your thoughts on? Well, this, this isn't you- this this is not a subjective conversation we know who yes, the greatest is. we know who the greatest is and i'm, I'm joking i'm sorry <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Go, go ahead bill well, it, 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 and i would say jimmy page yes. isn't the greatest dead is, isn't it jimmy hendrix i i i i i know it's jerry says i think it's jimmy page um See, and i would sorry go ahead jerry no i just i i and and i and again i'm i'm partial i like led zeppelin but I, I look here. Here's my thing. I think the greatest guitarist of all time is Jimmy Page. I think the greatest voice, the greatest presence in music of all time is Elvis Presley. Elvis Presley, yes. Um, uh, mm-hmm. And then we can go from there. But but it, it all starts with Elvis, uh, and then it trickles down to, to others. And Bill, uh, are, are, not even to get into the debate, but now that live concerts are coming back, who are you looking forward to going and, and seeing this this? summer if you're going to go out and see anybody well you know in just a couple of days i i am struggling uh because in just a couple of days right here in the washington area there's going to be an appearance by a guy that i've never seen before in concert joe bonamassa oh wow oh yes i've seen the, the advertisements on exactly. on facebook exactly i, I yes. saw an advertisement last night on television again yes that's right so i was down in melbourne florida um this past weekend celebrating a friend's birthday and I, I drove past, it used to be the uh, uh, Gulf, not Gulf Coast, the, the Florida, the Space Coast Community College. It's now like the, I think it's called the East Florida State University. Yeah. And they, A, they have John Anderson from Yes coming with some backup band. But they're also doing a series. Now, I think you, you and I have talked about this, Bill. I know I've talked about this. Yes. What was that? In the latest iteration of Yes, 
He's not the singer anymore. No, he's not. No, 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 no. There's no, there, there's everybody's been replaced, I, I believe. And, and, um, and Andrew and I have a running debate about progressive, uh, progressive prog rock and, he likes it. I don't like it. I, I do. I still, still love my prog rock. <laughs> but my, my point my point is this. So I'm a huge fan of the Fab Faux. I've had the guys on. The, these are the guys who, who break down Beatles albums and reproduce them uh, live on stage. There is apparently a whole series of, of folks who do this with other classic rock acts. And it's called Classic Albums Live. And I'm and, and they're all coming. That's all coming. Like, like we're talking like Fleetwood Mac rumors. Right. And 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 uh I don't remember what the other ones But Andrew, why not go see some of these uh singers and bands while they're still around? Because some so, of them are not touring. Well, and, so and this summer, them, this yes. summer in the DC area, I'm gonna go see Rod Stewart. And I know he's 76 or 77. I don't care. I think Rod Stewart's the coolest guy in rock and roll. I, I'm going to go see Robert Plant and uh, Allison Krauss. Krauss. Uh, yeah. uh, and, then, and then also tomorrow, uh, uh, tickets for the Washington area. Van Morrison is coming to the DC area. All right. I would go see Van Morrison. With oh, you, my goodness. In fact, Jerry, this is. See, wait, wait, wait. We can get into the whole WBAL thing. But but Van Morrison is someone that I would love to get on. Yes. And well, I already I already to told my daughter in the old days. And no, Bill, no, you remember no, this? No, no. Full stop, Jerry. Yeah. You do a radio show on a Baltimore area radio station. You should reach out to Van Morrison's people and try to get Van Morrison on the air. With uh, you. I will. Yes, I will do that. Yes. Uh, I okay. love Van Morrison. And talk to him Sorry. about vaccine mandates. Yes. <laughs> yes. <Of course. laughs> no, you're right. You're right. You're right. Clapton did a song about vaccine. Yeah, I know. I know I, it. I know and, it. And this is why I was moving down the road, Bill. Of I was I was circling around members of the birds uh, because I was specifically trying to get David Crosby on on the air, and I'm still also trying to get Graham Nash uh, on the air. Um, but uh, sorry, go ahead. What was that? Get Crosby and Nash back together. Let's. Well, listen, that ain't. I know that. I know. Listen, I know that's not gonna. I know that's not gonna happen. But but it's it's. Uh, uh, Stephen Stills tells a great story of maybe it's Graham Nash who tells a story of of Crosby literally taking a razor blade to a demo tape that they oh put together, goodness. like some master that they put together. Bill, are um, there any? Are there any? Uh, are there any music acts today? Um, and I'm trying to think who my, you know, my, my, my daughter, Bridget likes a band called Hyam. Uh, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a girl band. I say girl band. It's not the go-go's, um, you know, uh, uh, good music, um, kind of edgy, kind of, uh, kind of, uh, modern folksy. Uh, my, my other daughter likes Harry Styles and I yeah. kind of, I kind of laughed at it at first. Uh, and then I, I watched on, uh, she made me watch a Harry Styles, um, concert. And I thought to myself, the guy has chops. I mean, yeah, new uh, new yeah. Harry Styles album dropping at the end of May. My, uh, my younger daughter on my on on Claire's birthday on my daughter. You would be happy to know. And 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 Bill, I don't know if you're familiar with them, but I, I driving my daughter up to uh, D.C. a couple of weeks ago, my older daughter uh, listening to Greta Van Fleet in the car. I was just going to say, I, I saw yeah, Greta yeah, yeah. Van, I saw Greta Van Fleet with my nephew at the 930 Club a couple. Of oh, years. I love the 930 Club. Very good. Yeah. I mean, I, I used to go to the 930 Club when I was his age, but there you go. You know, there's a yes. there's a there's a band called the Bleachers. Have you heard of them? No, I haven't, haven't heard of them. I'll send you some stuff. Uh, excellent. Reminds me of old Elvis Costello. Um, oh, wow. uh, uh, that and a uh, guy's from uh, he's from Bergenfield, New Jersey. 
and uh, and wears Jersey on his sleeve, which I love. Uh-huh. Uh, t- he talks about Jersey. He writes about Jersey. He writes about images coming down Route Four uh, in oh, New yeah. Jersey. So uh, so it, it, good stuff. It's not it's not like, uh, you know, the, the one of the world's biggest guitar player, singer, songwriters didn't come out of Jersey. Or, or- <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? He just recently this uh, the lead singer for this band just recently put out um, uh, some some uh, tracks with Bruce Springsteen. Oh, that's so you know, I, I, I once walked in many years ago. I was working for an organization that liked to have uh, regular staff meetings. And I was a, I was a mid-level flunky and I, I walked in late to the staff meeting. And I, as a, as a casual aside, I said, I apologize that uh, the highway was jammed with heroes on a last chance. <laughs> <laughs> I love, you know what? I, I, I Wait a minute. And yeah. one guy in the room, saw, uh, and but I always else just but, stared at me. And I thought, oh, but cool. Bill, isn't it true cool. when, you, when you, when you're in these meetings or these awkward moments or not awkward moments and you make, you make a reference to a song or even to a movie, and there's someone who gets it, and you're like, "That's sure. the guy." There you that's go. That's the you know, that's the guy I want to work with. So, that so with it. that in mind, Bill, why don't we why don't we end it here? Thank you so very much for for joining us, Bill Pasco, Tea Party hey, Patriots. Yeah, we'll 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 have you back soon. Absolutely, um, Bill. This is this has been great fun, and and also offline, we got to talk about how we can facilitate getting your stories, your recollections, your history, your your commentary on all of that. Uh, recorded and written and and so we can do something with it take take care bill thank you so very much thanks guys good to be with you and now it's time for the bottom line the bottom line <laughs> wow <laughs> i jerry you just asked a question go ahead and ask yeah, it again. why why hasn't he written a book you know, it's funny because I think that there are two books that are here and, and one of them, because he, he's so involved in the political side of things. And he, he told a story, we got together for an event a, a few months ago, and he, he talked about what he would do the first chapter in his book, working for a particular candidate. I won't, I won't name the name. Um, and then there is this book about the Cold War, but you, you don't think, I mean, a book is important. And I think you got to do the book first. No, no, yeah. But from a book, you, from a book can I'm, come a, a docu series. Uh, I'm can telling come, you a Netflix uh, series about this. Yeah. I mean, the idea of going and meeting with Jonas Savimbi and Jonas Savimbi's guy pulling out a Yankee cap is yeah. Is but again, but, but not to just make my same point over and over again. No, no, go uh, ahead. There, why, there, why, why undo precedent, Jerry? But oh, I mean, sorry, but ahead. but uh, you know, but our kids need to hear these stories because what they're learning now. Uh, is again uh, is uh, is America is an evil place? Uh, the, but, right now, the the also, history our kids are learning is sixteen nineteen project yes. history, and it's 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 going to be the undoing the of point, of, our, Jerry, of our country. I think you also hit the nail on the head with regards to this idea of conservatives need to know that there's got to be substance yes. behind their conservatism. Yes, and that it's not all about hot takes. And 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 hot takes and takedowns and and how many Twitter followers you have and, right. and what you do, um, you know I didn't even. It's get about preparing. It. It's about preparing the next generation to carry on what we've been doing. You know it's, that's it, what it's it, about. It, it's one of those things. It's so funny because I I I put out. I'm 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 more active on Twitter these days than I have been in a long time. I'm not sure why that is. So um, have I, and it's been it's been aggravating. 
Yes, but well, some <laughs> some of it's some of it's been fun, some of it's been aggravating. But you know, I I, I tweeted out in in response to Nan Hayworth yesterday something about the Warriors, and that got some traction. Warriors, um, the Warriors, and but then I I tweeted out something, and I didn't get into this today, because uh, I'm I'm going to start to work on this op ed. Um, I, I mentioned Halford McKinder, and who is this early 20th century uh, uh, geographer, political geographer. And, and no, you know, and obviously it's obscure, um, but so vitally important, right? We talk about conservatives and we talk about doing the hard work. You know, the idea that we can learn a lot about what's happening with Russia today and Russia's interests in Ukraine today by going back and reading what is now, who is now an obscure a political geographer from the early 20th century, but someone who informed Russia's worldview, yeah. but the Soviet worldview, the German worldview. And what and what are our children learning in public schools? They're learning yeah. about sexual identity. They're, they're learning about whiteness as a microaggression. Uh, they're learning uh, that uh, to be on time, uh, to be courteous, uh, to do your homework. Tipping, Jerry. Uh, is, Tipping's racist. T- yeah, you know what? It, that's what set me off because I, I talked about this and I know we have to go, but the bottom line is this. There are a couple of um, uh, popular uh, uh, expressions of tipping being, uh, being uh, steeped in, in slavery. Uh, Newsweek uh, did a fact check on it once. Uh, and uh, the New York Times did a story on it once. And someone had tweeted, uh, tweeted, someone had texted this to me uh, when I was on uh, on WBAL the other day. And I said, well, first of all, number one, uh, fact checking today really isn't fact checking. It's really confirmation bias. And, and that is yes. the fact checker just confirms or denies whatever the fact checker wants to confirm or deny. Number one. Number two. Bill already gave us the long history of the New York Times misreporting. Yep. And so the Love fact it. of the, the fact and also the New York Times gave us a 1619 project, uh, yes. which we know is which is not history. It's revisionist. Uh, it's 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 uh, it's re- religiosity, not history. It's, it's probably that being said, that being said, even in the fact check that this person sent me, uh, you read the Newsweek fact check and you go to the end and it says at the very end, it says, well, uh, uh, yes, uh, tipping is steeped in slavery. Hannah, what's her name? Hannah Jones. I don't know. The 1619 yes. project. Yes. Hannah Jones. Right. Uh, uh, she's correct. What a blah, 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 blah. Um, uh, she's mostly right. Mo- uh, mostly right. Uh, and then, and then, and then has to give a nod and says, but tipping did exist prior to the civil war. And I'm like, wait a minute. That's the key because the argument is, is that tipping was a practice post-Civil War, post-15th Amendment to the Constitution, because racists didn't want to pay Black people. And so customers would tip because the restaurant owners or the business owners weren't paying. However, if it was a wide practice prior to the Civil War, then obviously it's not steeped in slavery. Yes, I mean, again, one plus one equals two. But when one plus one equals two uh, pushes against their narrative, then they have to they have to pull the Orwellian one plus one. Equals Here's a three. question, Jerry. If tipping yeah. is racist, is over tipping more racist? <laughs> it's just again, it's to so silly my, to quote my blue heaven. I don't believe in tipping. 
I believe in over. Over. Did you check out? Did you check out that that's a? Uh, uh, yes. A yes. Yes. To, I uh, did. I uh, did. In point of fact, Jerry, as Goodfellas? Jerry has pointed out to me in the past, that it's a it is a sequel to Goodfellas. Jerry, uh, what do you got going on? You uh, doing any more uh, filming stints? Uh, I got my party? show. Thank God I will return to my show on uh, Sunday. If it's Sunday, it's Jerry, 7 to 10 at WBAL. And here's the thing with my show from now on. Uh, two things, actually. And I said this on, on, on when I was doing filling work for Dan Joseph. I said, from now on, we're re- it's no longer the Jerry Rogers show. It's Jerry Rogers is right about everything show. <laughs> That's number one. Uh, and, and number two, I'm going to talk about what they don't want us to talk about. That's that's my mantra. I'm going to raise the issues uh, that no one wants to talk about. That they're afraid to talk about. We have to talk about uh, about transgenderism and sexual identity. Oh, yeah. About 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 CRT hey, and all the rest quick, of it. You know, it's funny because um, you and I were talking about this yesterday, and I raised the issue of the Special Olympics. Um, yes, and it's the idea of of if if. If the, the, the male swimmer can declare himself a woman so he can compete on the women's side of things, what is to prevent somebody from declaring themselves differently abled and sure. competing in the Special Olympics? And and it's so funny because uh, a, a friend of mine brought this up, hadn't talked to him, had come to the conclusion himself and and had said, well, what about the Special Olympics? And, and somebody was really offended by this as people are. How dare you? Would you say this to, you know, in front of X, Y, Z, special aids special well, what about the father of four children who participate in ncaa athletics but, but this is this is my point is that right. i is a person how dare you joke about this and i and i pointed out it's not joking it, it is in fact being very protective of if you if you don't have immutable truths in this world if 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 objective reality can be manipulated for political purposes uh, then, then nothing is nothing is sacred. Uh, listen, uh, to get back to this, I am uh, I am going to be at the uh, Notre Dame of Maryland uh, on a panel about Russia Ukraine on Tuesday, March 29th, uh, from 12:15 to 1:30 p.m. in Noise House. Please come and check us out there. Doing this thing in in Frederick, Maryland, on the 15th. We'll get those details to you, uh, Jerry. I know you want everybody to plant their feet, right? Right. Plant your feet. Find the truth first. Plant your feet. Stand firm. God bless you. Stand firm. Have a great week, everybody. Have fun and stay safe.